evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. Very happy to be here. Uh, took last week off from being in the WBSM studio. We still had a new episode. For those of you who listen on Midnight FM, you heard my interview with Amy Bruni of TV's Kindred Spirits. Uh, she has a new book out called Life with the Afterlife, 13 Truths I Learned About Ghosts. Uh, but I did not put it on the WBSM airwaves because I, you weren't coming in, Stephanie wasn't able to come in, and I wasn't sure about what was going on with Governor Baker's orders about staying home. And if, you know, this counts as work, I didn't know. So I wasn't sure. But I spent this week going through the the orders, just making sure that I'm not going to get a $500 fine yep. on the way home. And we won't. There's the, the fines are for the parties and, 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 and people right. gathering. We're known to be working. So, well... Yeah, if you really want to call us work, but yeah. And 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 all of the great uh, law enforcement officers that are out there listening to us, you know, just just let us let us go on home. We're just at the end of the day, at the end of the night, we're exhausted anyway. We're we're heading home. We're not going anywhere else. My longest day of the week. Yeah, sometimes I stop and get gas. Yeah. Sometimes we stop and get tacos if they're open. Uh, they're open. They're just you know. Do you want to get them? Yeah. Well, I I don't know if. Because I drove by a, a fast food place and the sign said, you know, open till 2 a.m. I was like, are you still? Because you're allowed to leave and go get groceries. Like, yeah, you're allowed yeah. to leave your house during the, the COVID curfew, so to speak, and go out and get essentials. It is like 1230 in the morning drive through an essential? I would say so. Well, for the cops driving around, I would assume they would be. Yeah, and, and, and some people, you know, are shift workers and that's yeah, the only yeah, chance yeah. they have to get something to eat because... You know, they don't have time to make something at home or they don't have the facilities. Well, you're not dining to, to, in the place. Right. It's a drive-through. So. so, yeah, you're not even getting out of your car. Yeah. Although sometimes you get those weird people that walk up to the window. Asking for change? No, like people will just drive. So I had a, a, a problem for years. Well, not years. I didn't have the car that long. But the entire time that I owned my first Trans Am, it had a problem with the motor in the, in the window. And if you've ever had a Trans Am... Those windows, the driver's side and the passenger side windows, are heavy, heavy windows. Yeah. And if the clip's broken, those, you were screwed. So, and, and I had an 82 Trans Am. This isn't like 97. So I couldn't find the window clips anywhere mm -hmm. to replace them. So what I had to do is I had to wedge a dustpan to keep the window closed. And so if I wanted to open the window, I'd pull the dustpan out and I'd let the window go down a little bit and then and I'd stick the dustpan in again. And if, if God forbid that dustpan cracked or if you the window slipped the out window of your hands, now. yeah, you would never see that window again, not without taking the whole door apart. So whenever I tried to go to a drive-thru, I couldn't. So because... You opened the whole door. Couldn't, couldn't. No. So what I would do is I would, you know, late night, you don't have a choice. You can't go inside. So I would park the car and I would walk over and some places would take my order and some places wouldn't i would usually drive up to the speaker give them my order and then tell them at the like listen i can't put my window down and they would say you know you can either pull over and walk over or you can drive up and you know open yeah. your door but uh, or they would you know some of the real nicer ones would they say would we'll walk, walk out. it out to you yeah but yeah that was a, a real pain uh, and I, it wasn't even the kind of trans am that had the t-top so i could have just like popped up the top and grabbed yep. the food you know my second trans am had the t-tops 
<laughs> I don't. I think I had that when when I when I first met you. I don't think I ever drove it here though. No, no. It was not. I re- you had it when I was working at the bar. It is not. And I used to drive it there, even though it yeah. was not what we technically call legal. Legal. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it was and it, red. Uh, my first one was red. My second one was white. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, but the the <laughs> so it didn't have a it didn't have any heat. So <laughs> in the winter time, I'd still want to drive it. And I remember my friend Pat came, he lived, uh, he lived up in Boston and he came home for a weekend and we were going to go out and get Hong Kong Island. And Which unfortunately is no longer there. Right. It's that place. Now that place is a ghost too. But, uh, I still have a piece of the roof though. Yeah. Um, but the, we're, we're at my house in Swiss beach at the time. That's where I lived. And he's like, let's go get Chinese food. I've been dying for some Chinese food. I was like, let's go to Hong Kong Island. And he's like, let's take, oh, so this is. This is probably before I knew you then, because I didn't start doing this show. Oh no, I was going to the to the bar then, and I was living in Swiss Beach. I don't know if we ever lived there at the same time. I lived on Pleasant Street. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the street I was on, but I, I was on several of them in there. I, I we we wanted to go, and we were like, let's take the Trans Am, even though it's December and we're freezing. And then we just decided, like, if it's already going to be that cold, let's just take the T-tops off, too. And so we're driving around blasting. I used to have one CD stuck in the CD player, and it was the okay. best of Van Halen. So it was well, a pretty good one to have. it was a decent CD. Yeah. And so we would just drive around listening to that. And, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, freezing freezing ourselves just to go get some Chinese food. And then we were supposed to bring food home. It was uh, cold as hell by yeah, the time and, you got it back. And it was freezing. Like, it was hot when they put it in, when we put it in the car, and it was ice cold by the time we got home with it. It was uh, just crazy. Anyway, uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And a little bit later on, we'll be joined by our guest tonight. Uh, you know him. Actually, I think people that listen to this program for a long time, you used to have to make a choice between Darkness on the Edge of Town radio and... Spooky South Coast, when the two shows were live and, and up against each other, you know, back in the early 2000s. Now, you know him from, you know, Darkness Radio, from True Crime Tuesday, from Beyond the Darkness, uh, and, and of course, from TV's The Holzer Files. Yeah. And uh, so Dave Schrader will be our guest coming up in just a little while. We'll get. I haven't talked to Dave for a while. He's been so busy. Uh, but a, a lot of you know that Dave was hosting the Midnight in the Desert program. Uh, after Art Bell's passing, and then when Dave stepped away to go do Holzer Files, I stepped in as the host uh, on a full-time basis, and then Flat Earthers bought the network, and now yeah. now there's now it's nothing. But uh, well, Dave and us in darkness have been the standard that everybody uses for paranormal radio. At least so I've been told by other people that listen to all of the different types of podcasts. So. Well, the um, we're, we're, we're both a couple of the oldest. Yeah, but, you know, contrary to what popular belief may be, we've always all been friends. Oh yeah, we we share guests and things like that. The um the and I've been on Dave's show before. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, the the way that it went was we started Matt Costa and I first started building the show uh, around September October of two thousand five. And with an eye on, I think it, it might have yeah. even been August or September, with an eye on, you know, trying to get on the air as fast as we could. We kind of originally wanted to get on the air around Halloween time, but Matt had to go through all the training for the technical side of yeah. things. And we wanted to book, you know, months, uh, you know, weeks and months ahead of time for guests. So 
we ended up spending a few months like building everything, practicing. Yeah, prepping. Yeah, we did a couple dry runs of the show. And so then we launched January 26th of 2006. January 26th, yeah, 26th. And then Darkness had beat us by just a few weeks. They launched on January 1st of 2006. So, and when we started, there was there was Ghostly Talk, which was running as a podcast. Uh, Ron Kolick had his radio show that he's yep. been doing forever. Uh, there might have been like two or three other ones, and then Coast to Coast. Coast, to Coast I mean, yeah. there there really wasn't that much around. There were some shows that were in other places, uh, you know, somewhere yeah, local, in Canada yeah, yeah. or whatever. But like in terms of kind of weekly regular. Stuff that was it, and then of course, blog talk radio hits, and then there's a million paranormal podcasts. And once that started, then they all start going and finding other places to put it out. And now it's so easy to to deliver podcasts to people that yeah, they're just everywhere. But yeah, we're some OGs, that's for sure. And we'll yeah. uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that as well because I think that it's um you know it's worth discussing a little bit because it's hard it's hard to stay in the in the paranormal radio business for this long and not. And still be fresh. Yeah, not dry out and, yeah. and, and, and keep recycling things. Like even, I mean, I'm not trying to insult anybody else, but even if you listen to Coast to Coast, there's a lot of guests that when they come back on, you know they're going to be talking about the same things. Yeah. It's not like they bring in new stuff. Uh, so, you know, it's like, okay, we haven't had this person on in two years. Let's bring him back and he can tell the whole same story again. Uh, so, you know, and we've we've tried to avoid that as best we can. I mean, just a scheduling snafu, like a weird scheduling thing this week is I had to interview Amy Bruni on Saturday night for Spooky South Coast. And then again, last night for Midnight Society. And I just made sure that I planned the conversations in both yeah. instances to avoid, you know, too much doubling up of so that if you are somebody that listens to both, you'd be able to listen to both without any issues. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. I mean, sometimes you're stuck with uh, who has what available for their schedule. And you're in some cases, you're dealing with, the, you know, booking managers, double booking. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's beyond our control, I guess. I, I did try to go spooky live, too, on YouTube, but it didn't work. Yeah. So... Sorry about that, folks. You'll just have to listen to the audio-only version. Uh, but you can listen to us, of course, on WBSM, on WBSM.com, on the WBSM app, on the Paranormal Radio app, on TuneIn, and on Midnight.fm. So there's a, a lot of different ways to listen to the program. And unlike some of the, you know, the, the, the Midnight FM programming, you have to be a subscriber to get to the archives. Spooky South Coast is free. So you can get that wherever you get podcasts. And uh, and I want to thank everybody that keeps continuously downloading us each and every week. They're now available through Spreaker, which that is a way that a lot of people are consuming podcasts. So you can get them there. Uh, And people have been asking us if we were on Spotify, and we are on Spotify. So if anybody is wondering that, you can listen to us that way as well. We're also on Stitcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on uh, Google Play, you know, the Google Podcasts, all of that stuff. Because, you know, when you've been around this long, you eventually just work your way into everything. What's our CompuServe account? <laughs> well, hey, listen, I've uh, I've been sending emails to people this week for a couple of different reasons that are still using AOL email addresses. <laughs> and I said, how does that still work? I'm still using one before that. I still have a Netscape. Right. But that's because you refuse to learn any new technology no it's just that's the one that i have i do have other emails that are more modern 
when we first started this whole show and we had our own, you know, we launched our own website and we had our own email addresses and all that, like Moniz would go months without checking those emails. We finally had to like force everything into his regular inbox <laughs> so that it would kind of show up because otherwise I'd be like, Moniz, this is when we were in the message board. Moniz, there's 45 people on the message board talking about how they sent you emails and you haven't replied. Like, these are listeners. Just reply to them. <laughs> I so. Okay. And and still I hear from people like, hey, I sent Moniz a, an email and I haven't heard back. I have not had an email from the spooky account and I don't know how long. Well, let's flood them, folks. Send them oh, emails God. all week long. All right. Well, I, I do believe that our guest is on the line and we can uh, jump right into the conversation. As I said, you know, he's been around the paranormal world for a long time. You know him as the host of Darkness Radio, of Beyond the Darkness Radio, True Crime Tuesday, and now... You get to see him on your television screens. Season two of The Holzer Files is running right now on Travel Channel. And I think we have Dave on the line. Good evening, Dave. Are you with us? I'm here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. It's, I, you know, I was thinking about it. This is the first time we've ever had you on Spooky South Coast. Oh, see, this is what it takes. A guy's got to get his own TV series and be in series two before he gets recognized by Tim Weisberg. I see how it goes. Well, you know what the problem was is for all those years <laughs> at the beginning, you were live up against us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I figured I was going to give you new kids a breather and I stepped back <laughs> from doing live programming and, uh, you know, I like to spread the wealth around as I crack open a fresh water. We'll call it water. It's artesian. Mm. That's water, right? There's water somewhere in there. That's right. And so it's been it's it's been a crazy year. I, I I'm very <laughs> impressed that anybody's been able to get television filmed during everything that's been going on. But you you guys were able to pull it off. I think I think I've got to take some um, responsibility for how 2020 has gone down. I'm pretty sure because I stepped away from Midnight in the Desert. That's what upended the entire universe. And I'm going to take that blame right now, Tim. You know, it, it, it kind of coincides. I, I don't remember hearing about everything that was happening. No. I didn't hear about the coronavirus until then. Right. It wasn't until I left. And then, I don't know, the spirit of Art Bell just, you know, opened up the seventh portal of hell on all of us. But uh, I apologize. I'm putting the official apology out there, but I left it in great hands. Uh, it's a sad situation to see the way things uh, fell apart with that after your leaving, but uh, I'm glad that you are continuing on and carrying your own programs and and keeping the entertainment force out there and keeping people educated on on the strange and the supernatural world, Tim. So keep doing what you do, brother. Well, thank you, and and likewise with all that you do, and I think it's important now more than ever because we're giving people something to think about beyond what they have to think about every day. That's right. You know, it's it's funny. I don't know if you and Matt get this, but it, people will ask, oh, what do you guys think about the, the current situation with politics? What do you guys think about, you know, the COVID crisis and this and that? And, and a lot of it, I'm just like, Nothing. hey, you know what? Don't you tune in to me to get away from that for uh, a couple hours a week? And I, I try to avoid it like the plague. I just, I want to talk about weird, fun, strange, supernatural things and let the world worry about the rest. And, you know, uh, everything else is covered so eloquently on every other network and show that I, you know, you and I and, and shows like uh, Darkness Radio and Spooky South Coast, we're a respite for the weary. We're a place that people can go to clear their mental palate of all the, the 
hatred, anger, resentment, and and nonsense that's going on in the world around us and take them into a place where it, it we actually encourage you to expand your mind, come together, setting intention, working together, and, and you know, educating each other. So I think, you know, I, I'm glad we're still doing what we do. That's all I can say. So it's more like metaphorical mental mouthwash. Exactly. Exactly. We're just a good yeah. spit and a rinse away. Exactly. That's all we are. <laughs> yeah, and, and what's funny is even in the paranormal world, there's enough, you know, drama, enough arguments, enough fights. Like, we, we can battle about things like, you know, orbs, or we can battle yeah. about what we believe is the nature of some of the, the activity that we encounter. You know, there's the same problems that we see in the rest of the world happening in the paranormal world, but we're all able to walk away from it at the end of it and say, eh, well, you know, agree to disagree because we just don't really know. But that that's not really translating into other topics. No, right. I mean, you just, and it's, you know, I have to be cautious because there's sometimes when we're pulling together news and I'll see, you know, that Larry the Squid predicted this presidential candidate would win over that one. And it's a funny, weird, quirky, psychic squid story. And I'm afraid to talk about it because God forbid I mention a political name. Oh, you're on that guy's side. Oh, I knew it. And, I, you know, it's just, it's so crazy. People are so on edge and triggered right now over everything that it's just, yeah, that's why we just try to legitimately step away from the madness and enter a whole new realm of, of bizarreness. And that's, that's a much more comfortable place for me to be in. It's kind of scary when the unexplained becomes more normal. <laughs> right, right. That's what I, you know. When I used to, uh, when we were on radio on KTLK, it was a political talk station. So all day long was politics. And I said, so all day long, you can listen to scary stuff. And at night, tune in for something comforting like demons and Ouija boards with us here on Darkness Radio. Uh, and I, I still stand by and maintain that. But yeah, this this year has been crazy with everything. We, we actually, you know, I stepped away from Midnight in the Desert because we were getting more episodes of The Holzer Files to film. And last year, you were kind enough to step in two times a week when I was doing Midnight. Uh, and I was on the road recording Midnight in the Desert for three hours. And then, you know, then trying to get in a Darkness Radio episode or two. Then going on set and filming from like two in the afternoon until two or three in the morning. Going to bed and starting it up again at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. And it was just burning me out. And then they gave us more episodes of Holds your files this season, so I stepped away from midnight and and turned it over to you. And uh, then we, you know, we were out there filming for a little over a month, month and a half, and then all hell broke loose. And and I remember getting the call. We literally filmed one day into episode five, and at the end of the day, everybody pulled together and said, "You know what? Let's go home." Everybody go home to your families until this thing is figured out. We didn't want to get trapped on the East Coast, away from our families, and a lot of our cast and crew are from the Midwest or the uh, the West Coast. So it was just a good idea at that time to break away. But we did, and we took that 90 days, and then we were the canary in the coal mine. Holzer Files was the first back out of the shoot to uh, to start filming. And, and that must have been, you know, just before getting into all of that stuff, I mean, you're already going through uh, this process of having to go from town to town to have to go to all these different locations each time it's like a, a, a new setup it's like starting all over again uh because you're you know you're not staying in one place like some tv series do you're you're going from case to case so you have to go from place to place and then you don't know what's happening from one place to the other of where you were going were you worried that you know you might be 
traveling into the next hotspot, and then you could be the one carrying it from that hotspot to the next place. You know, one of the first, I think it was the fourth episode we filmed um, for the first part of season two was at the Merchant's House Museum in New York City. And we were staying in the heart of Chinatown. Right. And we heard all of this stuff. And, you know, this was still at the height of the, and I'm just paraphrasing it to what it was called at that time, the China flu, and that all of the stuff was coming in. And, you know, you're in the thick of this area and you're like, what? What's going here? What? So when we went and started the fifth episode, like I said, everything else started to crumble and we just all went went home. Um, But going back out in the field, I was reticent. I mean, I've got a daughter with diabetes, a wife with Crohn's disease, a pregnant daughter-in-law, and, you know, I'm no spring chicken. So, you know, we're all in a compromised situation under my roof, but our production company and Travel Channel Discovery um, were so diligent in taking care of us. They put together insane protocols, and truthfully, I've never felt safer at an airport in my life than I have over the last six months because there's nobody there. There's nobody in the airports. There's, you know, one-third capacity on the flights. So you you get a whole row to yourself, and they stagger it so that you're not sitting in front of or behind anybody. It's really bizarre, plus all the help HEPA filters and everything they've got in play. I felt pretty safe. And then we would go film and then go to our rooms, and that's where we stayed. And we were inundated with hand sanitizer and sprays and masks and the only time I took my mask off was when we sat down in front of our guest who had to go through COVID testing before they could come on set with us. And we had to go through COVID testing before we could get in any of the locations. So we were constantly testing and, and checking it out and we made it through the season. And I'm proud to say we I had just filmed the last pit of season two last weekend and everything's done and I'm back home now and just get to be around my family safely and, and that's where it's gonna go. And the the problem that I've found with uh, everybody trying to get this done, it's not just getting out there and getting filming. It's It's been hard on production, too, because now, now they're going to take all the stuff that you've gone out there and filmed, and they're going to edit, and they're going to create episodes out of this. But even they're having problems where, you know, they're working at, at a lower capacity of the amount of people allowed in the building. Some of the people have to work remotely. And I don't think people understand that when you're talking about, I'm assuming you're shooting in 4K, you know, if you're shooting in high-definition footage, and you need to get it from one person to another, it's not as simple as just sending them an email with a file attached. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's hours and hours of rendering and, and file transfer and all of that, and that all of that's going to slow down the process too. Yeah, there was, there was a lot that was going on behind the scenes. I give credit. And then, you know, our crew is great. Our crew, you know, I spend anywhere from 10 to 12 hours on set per day, and our crew is there two hours before me and two hours after me. So these guys bust their butt working, guys and gals, uh, bust their butt working to keep everything safe and clean and we're in there disinfecting and spraying and, and masked up and just taking care of themselves. But, uh, you know, here's here's what I can say. We caught some amazing footage in the first four episodes. We were blown away by what we were getting this season. But then there was this 90-day lull. And a lot of the places we visit are, are locations of interest, museums, historical sites, Places that are used to the lifeblood of humanity walking in through its doors. And these ghosts have been starved for 90 days. Nobody had been there visiting. Nobody was in. So when we went back out, all hell broke loose for us. We had amazing stories. And this next episode coming up this Thursday, 
I've got to say, is my favorite. We visit Franklin Castle in Cleveland. It's a very personal story to me. We get, I think, one of the best pieces of video evidence ever. Uh, it is historic to me. And it was, uh, you know, I, I get called in. I'm going through with the history on this, looking into it. And as I'm sitting in front of the historian getting more backstory, I find out that the little girl's spirit that we're, we're going to go in and try to communicate with actually died from complications due to diabetes. And I find this out on the second anniversary of the day I almost lost my daughter due to complications of diabetes. And I, I, it was a lot of weeping and a lot of uh, uh, emotion in that episode for me. Um, and my daughter actually makes a, a cameo guest appearance in the episode to help us during the ghost hunt. And I think that's why we got such great results. I mean, it seems like uh, not, I mean, listen, we've known for a long time that you've gone out and, and been a, a paranormal investigator. People might not realize, you know, just how many investigations you were taking part in uh, all the time. But, you know, it is a personal thing and, and so many people detach themselves from it. But I've, I've been around you as you're investigating. It seems to me like you always keep your own humanity in mind in, in what it is that you're doing and, and the humanity of who it is that you might be reaching out to. Well, it is, you know, I mean, we went out um, and we did this ghost hunt. If you guys remember, uh, Matt, you were there at the, and I can't remember the name of the location now. Um, the, uh, the North Adam Horse, the Houghton Mansion. Mansion. Yeah. Yes, Houghton Mansion. And we went out there to do this uh, investigation. And I think that was really kind of the first time I got to ghost hunt uh, with you, Matt, and, and be a part of this and yep. Jeff Belanger and, and do all of this. And we did some talks and we did a ghost hunt. We did the psychomantium experiment, which to me sounded like balderdash. You stare at a mirror with low lighting, your eyes are going to play tricks on you. And, and if you guys remember, I mean, I had an emotional break. Yep. Um, I saw a good friend of ours. It was very weird. First of all, I'm up there. Uh, for people that don't, do, do we have time to explain this real quick? Or oh, sure. Do you need a okay. break? Nope, no okay. breaks. No breaks until the top of the hour, and then it'll be about a 10-minute break. Okay, just wanted to make sure I'm not stepping on anything here. So um, it's a mirror in a dark room with no other light source, one small candle in front of you. Uh, and you look into this mirror and kind of allow your eyes to just kind of relax, like those 3D pictures that uh, look like wavy lines. And when your eyes relax, all of a sudden you see Lady Liberty or an airplane or something jump out at you. Well, you do this and you let your eyes just kind of fade in. And I, I'm like, all right, some people are coming out seeing ridiculous things. Uh, and, and I'm up there and I swear I start seeing uh, the visage of Jeff Belanger start to appear in the mirror. And I'm like, what the hell? And I start talking and I'm like, why are you showing me Jeff? Is he in danger? Is there something wrong? And then that face slowly morphed into a friend of ours, uh, Father Andrew Calder. Um, mm. Andy Calder, who was an exorcist, had appeared on some of the Paranormal State episodes. And Andy, Andy appears in the mirror to me. And he just, just stoically looking me in the eye. And I'm like, Andy, I, I can't believe it, Andy. And I said, I'll, I'll tell Evie, his wife, I'll tell Evie I saw you. And he just broke into this wonderful smile. And I lost it. I just started crying. I... I said goodbye, and I'd gone in there trying to communicate with my mom, uh, or not my mom, my grandfather. Uh, my mom hadn't passed away at that time, but my grandfather, hoping my grandmother or grandfather would come through, and I was taken completely by surprise. I still don't know why I saw the image of Jeff appear in the mirror. I, I can't explain that, and thankfully nothing horrible has happened to Jeff, um, 
but then to see Andy come in and this kind of uh, really deep connection for me, and I, I had to just excuse myself from the ghost hunt. You know, I think when you give up your humanity, you, you become second nature to you. It's time to step away from this field, and I don't mind having those emotional breaks because then it, it reminds me of who we are and who we're trying to communicate with, and it keeps you kind of tethered to both sides of that, and that was really, uh, that was really an emotional moment for me, and, and this episode coming up, at Franklin Castle was probably uh, uh, a little bit more because of the connection to my daughter and what had happened two years ago when I almost lost her. So it was, it's very impactful, very powerful. And I really think if people tune in to this episode, they're going to see a lot of strange things they've never expected, like uh, the Holzer files cast using a spirit board. And I know that's going to turn a lot of people off just by saying it, but wait till you see how we use the spirit board, what the intention is behind bringing it into this investigation, and what are some of the other things that we try. Cindy breaks out a new uh, skill, something that she's had but hadn't used before, spirit art. And it's really kind of a neat culmination of different experiments, different things going on, and we capture some of the best evidence we've ever had. You know, and, and I remember when you came out of that psychomantium and seeing the emotion on your face, the way that you were feeling. And I said to myself in that moment, I was like, you know, I, I wonder if it'll ever be that personal for me. If I'll ever have an experience like that, uh, that, you know, I didn't know if, if that was something that changed you as an investigator. But I was thinking to myself, if I had a moment like that, it would probably change me as an investigator. And then sure enough, just a couple of hours later... I have an experience in that same location uh, just behind in the Masonic Lodge where I shook hands with a with a shadow figure. And that was like my holy crap moment where I realized like, okay, there is there is a humanity into this other side. So it's it's it, it just shows the power, first of all, of that place, uh, but also of the difference that it can make when you are putting yourself out there in a more personal way. Right. That's, that's a big part of this is it's not... You know, I tell people all the time, when you want to investigate, what is the reason behind it? Confront that aspect of who you are and why you're doing these things before you go in and do it. Because I think sometimes when you align yourself and you understand the reasoning behind it, and there's no, there's no wrong answer. But once you understand what you're truly there for, I think your experiences become more impactful. Whether it's there just to get a scare or it's there just to challenge your, your paradigm, does this exist or not? I think by setting those intentions prior to going, you'll get a better, well-rounded experience. And I found that when you go into places closed and in a crap mood and a, a bad mental place, you know, either in your mind or in your heart, uh, it's, it's hard to make a connection when you can't even connect with yourself. And I know that sounds very hippy-dippy and tree-huggery, but it's true. Yeah, you don't want to go into a place asking a question if you're not going to be prepared for an answer. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, you know, when I had the opportunity, I met Cindy a couple of years ago just by happenstance at Lilydale. We were both there the same weekend, and, uh, and, and I was taking a workshop that she was in as well. And I realized, like, there is, there is something that resonates from her, uh, something that is just a, you know, a, a goodness, a, a peacefulness. And so, you know, when I see her and I see you and I know Shane bringing, you know, what he, what he brings to the table as well. It really is very much a, uh, there's a chemistry there, but there's also, you know, an easy chemistry for the spirits to interact with there. There, there, there are people there for them to reach out to, to feel like 
somebody still wants to treat you like the person that you were. I agree. Uh, and, and Cindy has this disarming way. And I, I've got to be honest. I mean, I've, I knew Cindy um, superfluously uh, in her field of, of being a psychic medium, but I didn't know of her. Um, I, you know, when, when they reached out to me, and you've had this happen with your show being on almost as long as Darkness Radio here, you, you get people reaching out to you all the time that want to do a TV show with you. And I've done Ghost Adventures episodes, Paranormal State episodes, um, and then I did uh, that mini-series Paranormal Challenge. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me that want me to be an investigator, and I've been like, I really don't have an interest in that. I, I just, I don't. And when this network uh, and, and production company reached out to me with the show, they're like, well, we have this really amazing medium, Cindy Kaza, we want you to work with. I'm like, oh, that's great, pretty medium, you know, I, you know, I... Uh, what are you guys trying to do? You know, they're going to do this dog and pony show. You get this beautiful medium on there, and then you get the old battered, weather-beaten-looking guy, and what what are we trying to do? And they're like, well, why don't you just talk to Cindy? And I'm still like, I, I still don't want to be an investigator. And they're like, well, we're going to be opening Dr. Hans Holzer's case files. And then I stopped, and I said, you're going to do what? And they're like, well, the family has opened up the case files to us, and they're allowing us to examine these cases of this legendary investigator who I read, and I was lucky enough to be the last radio interview with before his passing. And I'm like, oh, well, now you have my attention. So, you know, you're looking for signs when you want to do these things. At least I am. And I, or that's a first great sign. I love Alexandra. She's been a, a dear, sweet friend to me for many years. And... I love her father and work that he's done. I'm fascinated by all of this. And to get to walk in his long shadow was a, a really intriguing aspect. And then they brought Cindy and I together and we connected immediately. We had this great uh, kind of sympathetic relationship uh, that we were able to talk and joke. And we just kind of felt each other's vibe really well. And then in passing, we mentioned our birthdays and our birthday. We share the same birthday, 1122. So coming up, um, She's a much younger than I am, but November 22nd, we're both on the same birthday, and we both looked at each other. We're like, this is going to be good. This is, <laughs> right. this is it. And then we found Shane, uh, who, again, another guy I knew out in the field but hadn't had a chance to work with, and he really compliments the team so nicely. And then we get to work with Gabe Roth, our researcher. Um, and, you know, that's not a bad pedigree. Gabe is uh, part of the Roth dynasty of, of horror and paranormal. You know, he's Eli Roth's brother. He's worked on many different programs behind and in front of the scenes, and he loves and is voracious in his research and is so good at, at finding these stories and bringing them out to us with him and the production team and then Alexandra being that bridge between her father and, and our show, kind of giving his voice back to us so we get to hear original audio recordings, film and photographs, every handwritten note the guy ever made on every one of these investigations. And then she is on every episode with us, kind of giving us some insight into this investigation we're gonna to go to, why it was important to her father, what she remembers of this case and story, and we get to take it on. So we really had a, a great opportunity to put this team together and, and create something unique. And they told me, we're gonna treat this show not like a ghost adventures, not like you know ghost hunters or paranormal state. We're not looking for the demon of the week. We wanna treat this more like a crime uh, procedural. We want to really dissect these stories, go beyond what everybody knows or expects you're going to communicate with, and see if we can find the other spirits. This place is 200 years old. This family was only 
you know, 20 pages of the story of this location, what else is happening there and why is it continuing? So that's what's been really kind of an exciting aspect of doing these stories and going back in all these years later. He was, you know, he, he investigated for the better part of six decades. So, you know, we're going back in time 60 years, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, depending on the case that we've got. This season, we investigate his first case in Rockland County. And, you know, to get to go back into some of these stories is really profound. Ghost hunting cold cases, basically. Right. In a sense, uh, you know, Holzer knew that these cases were never truly solved. So he was he was always looking. And, you know, I've mentioned this and I'm I'm upfront with it. Uh, Holzer, like every other paranormal investigator, has taken heat in the field. And, oh, he got this wrong and he got that wrong. But what people don't realize is he got the information from sources that he believed to be true, like going right. to the location and getting it from the historians. And, you know, when he'd visit the, the Surratt Tavern like we did last week, the, the people that were there told him one set of stories. The Merchant House, New York, the, the people there told him another set of stories. And he would write in his notes, he's like, I can't, I can't feel good about putting this in the, in the book because I can't corroborate the story. I can say what the legend is, but I don't feel comfortable putting a definitive stamp on this. This is something we should revisit. And those are some of those great cases we get to go back in and then get those answers for Dr. Holzer. And in a lot of these cases, we're validating what he picked up on 40, 50, 60 years ago, things that he knew weren't right. And we're able to prove that he was right. These things were not. The history, the story, the ghosts, the legends and lore. And we get to the real aspect of it. And we're trying to treat it, you know, differently. Um, And I'm not besmirching any other show out there. They all are great. And I love these people that are on the shows. We've been friends for years. But everybody has their own approach. We don't go in. I've I've been bitten and I've been knocked on my ass on, uh, on Holzer Files in season one. I have a couple of close scrapes this season, too. It would be real easy to jump to it being a demon, but we, we put back the humanity. And, Matt, you were mentioning that earlier, too, is, you know, we're going back to the humanity of what these spirits are. They're angry. They're frustrated. Yeah. They're lonely. And how are they maybe lashing out, acting out, and then kind of reexamining the case and hopefully putting a better stamp on it or at least getting us further into the case to leave it open so, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the line, they can open up the, the Holzer Files Generation 3 and follow up on what we did and, and go further. So, you know, that's what's great about this. There is no one answer. Is there is there a lot of difficulty, though, in going back to cases that have had that much time pass and somebody's looked into them? Do you hit a lot of brick walls sometimes in, in some of the research and in some of the, the ways that you're trying to approach the case with fresh eyes? That's a great question. Our first episode together was the Whaley House in San Diego. And I thought, geez, what, what is left to investigate? This story's been beat to death. It's been on every paranormal show ever. What can we possibly get? But that's part of why each one of us has an interesting skill set. You know, having been a radio show host for 15 years, I go in and I talk to some of these people and I uncover things that they weren't even you know, wasn't even pinging their radar or I ask the right question and I get answers that blow the producers away and open up doors for us, you know, and in talking with the the historian, I'm like, you know, these stories, people believe the Whaley family haunting this house. Do we know what this place was before? And that that's public knowledge that it was a hanging ground that three or four people were hanged on that property 
and that that's why Whaley got the property so cheaply. I think it was literally like a buck fifty or some stupid amount of money for this property because it was tainted in the eyes of the people. And I said, I wonder if the if the Whaley's ever dealt with any of that negativity. And she goes, you know, it's funny you ask that. We just uncovered some of the original handwritten letters, and she let us see them. Original letters between Mr. and Mrs. Whaley talking about the ghosts in their home. That had never been covered before on any show. And you get to see these handwritten notes and them talking about the fact that Mr. Whaley would, when he was in the home alone, would try to come home, get up to his room before nightfall because he didn't want to be in the rest of the house in the dark because of the strange things that would take place. And he would, his wife would write about the things and he goes, yes, yes, I'm aware, but we shall not talk about this. Let's just move on. If we, you know, it was like saying, if we give it attention, it's going to get stronger. I got a and question. Great well, to see that. Sorry. Uh, question. Any of the activity that the Whaley's would talk about parallel what currently happens? In other words, yes. this is a continuation. Yes. It, you know, a lot of people uh, think it's the ghost of Yankee Jim um, because that was one of the people hanged on the property. Uh, and, and you find out, you know, as we, spoiler alert, if people haven't seen season one, episode one of The Holzer Files, it's a cool episode, great history. But we uncover the fact that Juan Vardugo, who was part of this kind of uprising, Mexican heritage, Native uh, American heritage, was trying to rise his people up to take this land back. And he was kind of their hero. You know, he was the, the hero of their story. And he was doing these uprisings, trying to do this, and they caught him. They broke down his little band of merry men, and then they made him dig his own grave and then shot him in the back. He fell into the grave, and they covered him. And Mr. Whaley was one of the people there. So he buys the property. He's there. The, the property's, you know, oh, 50 yards away from the cemetery where Juan Verdugo's body is resting. You know, this is a different part of the story. And as soon as I started calling him out, that's when I got knocked on my butt. And, you know, it was a different story that we told. And it was a different angle. And I was really pleased that that's what we would uncover. It wasn't the same old story. When we went to the Morris Jumel Mansion in New York, which is this huge legendary ghost mansion where an entire crew of school children, teachers, and adults saw this ghost glide out on the veranda and hush them because they were being too loud. And then she went back in the house, and a few minutes later, the docent came to open it, and the teachers and the adults apologized for bothering the employee and said, there's nobody else here. We saw the woman. This was public record. It was in the newspapers. It was everywhere. This was seen, and because of that, they reached out to Hans Holzer because they wanted answers. And, you know, we go in there and we uncover a totally different aspect of this story and something that had never even been thought of. And, and the people there, when we talked to them, they go, I got to tell you, I thought you guys were going to come in and because of Aaron Burr and Hamilton being so popular now because of the Broadway musical, we thought for sure that's where you were going to go with this. Well, what you, you guys came up with is amazing. You you brought up a good point that I think, I, I don't want this to be lost on, on listeners, uh, even though you just kind of brought it up as a by the way, but... Like you said, you've been in radio for 15 years. Well, longer than that, but you've been in paranormal radio for 15 years, and you know how to talk to people about their cases, about their haunts. And that's something that production companies don't always understand, that when you just take the lead investigator for the case and say, we're going to go have you interview this person and try to get information out, you're just going to get somebody that's going to you know, repeat the same talking points that they've told everybody else that's ever come there and asked about the ghost. But when you give somebody the opportunity to talk to someone the way that they would talk to any other 
mm. interview or any other person they'd be trying to connect with in a long form interview, it's a it's a completely different dynamic because that person is now you know put almost more at ease because they're not trying to give you the quick TV answer. They're really trying to give you the whole story. They're not looking for the dog and pony show. Right. It's not. Yeah. It's not just a soundbite anymore. Yeah. Right, and there's times, you know, like the the, the producers will tell me, okay, we kind of this is the skeleton of what we want you to ask, but do Dave, be Dave, you know, take her off topic if she says something, and uh, sometimes our director will be blown away. I'll go in for what we think is going to be a 30 minute filming cycle, and we're in it for two hours because I get the person so involved in the story and telling it a different way and having them approach it and look at it a different way. And this isn't meant to pat myself on the back, but it's why they wanted me to do the show is to bring that element. And then Cindy comes in and is the the kind of metaphysical aspect of bridging us to the other side. Then you've got Shane who's working on the tech and trying to come up with new experiments and fun things. And then, you know, poor Shane takes a lot of heat because, you know, people pick on him and, oh, he runs out or he gets scared. He's human, and I think he's the heart of the show. He's that human element. He's the fans watching the show because – you know, you could tell me how brave you are. And you guys know we've all been in a lot of investigations in our life. And no matter how tough or badass you think you are, there are times you get into a location and you're by yourself in that basement in the dark and you start to hear something move around you and you lose your cool. It's just natural. Yeah, we've all scooby-dooed at one point <laughs> oh. or another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that's what I like about the way they put this team together is they, we all have our chance to shine on the episodes and be human and, and you know, do what we do well. And I think that's kind of what sets us apart. I hope we'll be doing this for many seasons to come. First season was 10 episodes. This season's 13 episodes. So we started um, the week of Halloween. We should be going probably well into February because I know – Thanksgiving is a Thursday. Christmas Eve is a Thursday. I don't think they're going to show new episodes. They'll probably do reruns those nights, but it'll get spread out until probably February. And we've got so many great stories to look at this season. Well, we're going to take a break here coming up in a few moments. Uh, and during that break, uh, you know, the people listening, you'll hear the news. Uh, and then we'll pick it back up on the other side after we run a few commercials. Just just so you know, Dave, even though we're on regular radio, I try to run this show like a podcast. And I just front load all the commercials so that we don't have to interrupt the conversation. It's Perfect. the complete opposite of everything that we're used yeah. to doing. <laughs> but it just makes it so much easier in the edit when it's over. Yeah, no that's, doubt. Yeah. That's my goal. And that's the other thing, too, is, you know, you're walking out of these two-hour interviews, and, and the, the crew is probably like, wow, I can't believe that you just talked to that person for two hours. And you're thinking to yourself, two hours? That's nothing. I do that standing on my head every night, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and if you get somebody who's great and has a history and a story to tell, you you just you pick it apart. You You find the elements of it that maybe, like you said, hey, Dave, you just said something, and I don't want you to just skirt over that. This is important. And sometimes they'll say something, and I'll go back in and flesh that out, and all of a sudden it sends our, our investigation on a whole new path, and our director's like, oh, my God, that's crazy. we got to look into that. And then we dig in, and sure enough, we find another element of the story that we had no clue going in on. Well, that's the media background. You're you're following the breadcrumbs. Where did this lead? Okay, how how did that? The how, what, why, when, where? You know that you generally would follow up with in uh, journalism, correct? So that does right. lead you into all of these new avenues that the we'll we'll call it the average investigators just looking at the basic points of what they're looking for in their their haunting stories. Yeah, they, they, you know uh, this doesn't relate to. 
this or that necessarily that they're seeing offhand, but you as uh, a journalist would want to, you know, look deeper because that's the backstory. Right. And that gives you a better insight into why the haunting might be taking place and, and a better way to handle the haunting. You know what the episode we have coming up at Franklin Castle, knowing that this girl died of diabetes, knowing that she really only makes herself known to children. And here you've got a you know 52 year old guy and a couple of 30 somethings in there. I in, involved my daughter uh, remotely. She made videos for me asking questions and I play the videos for the spirit and we get responses and it's it was remarkable it was fun to be able to think outside the box and bring a different dynamic to the investigation that others might not have done well, we are going to take a break here. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more about that episode. We'll also talk about some of Dave's other adventures that he's been on, especially, you know, now that uh, we are in this weird place where people aren't leaving their houses. It's always great to live vicariously through the people that are able to get out and do things. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, we'll also take any questions that you might want to shoot over to us. You can do so spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also post them on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive or hashtag MidnightFM. I'll keep an eye out for both of those hashtags. And maybe even a little bit later on, we can open up the phone lines as well. 508-996-0500 is the number here. Stay tuned. More Spooky South Coast in a few. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk Entertainment. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, psychic medium Stephanie Burke is out. She's at an event in uh, in Gettysburg this weekend. So uh, hopefully everything's going well down there with her and Scott Porter. And uh, and I know they were investigating a couple of different places. Uh, we'll get an update from her. I believe next week she's back. Uh, there was another event that they had planned. I'm not sure if it was next week or the weekend after that. But uh, hopefully she'll come back. Also during the break, Moniz and I were talking about the Houghton Mansion and about how special the Houghton Mansion is. And also, I had I, I mentioned that it was up for sale and that it was, I believe I told you it was 270000 Something like that, yeah. Well, I was wrong. So it went up for sale on in May of 2017 because the Masons put it up for sale. And it went up for sale for $250,000. Still, that is crazy cheap. But less than a month later... So that was May 22nd of 2017. On June 16th of 2017, they dropped the price to 199000 What? 
And in that, now it says price unavailable. So I don't know if somebody bought it and it's off the market or if they just aren't publicizing the price anymore. But imagine being able to pick that place up for under 200 grand. I mean, it still needs a lot of work. Yeah, but that that place is amazing. I mean, I in terms wanna, of activity, wouldn't want to pay the heat bill. Oh God, well, you wouldn't be living in the entire park. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, <laughs> let's, <laughs> that's your call. Let's bring back in our guest, Dave Schrader. Dave, how, how about you? You want to go halfsies on the Houghton Mansion? Uh, let's go threesies. Yeah, sure. that's even better. There's, it's not yeah. like there isn't plenty of room for us all in there. Man, I would love to own a haunted place. I, you know, I kicked myself. And I got I to gotta ask the question. Uh, Maplecroft is for sale? Yeah, I know. I, I know. I've heard about that. But I also know that... Uh, the price is pretty good. <laughs> well, no, not that. But I know the backstory, which would preclude me from wanting to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're not being treated very well in town. No. And I don't know that I would want to be a part of uh, any town that's like that. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, but when the Manson murder house, the La Bianca house, went up for sale, you know, Zach Bagans bought it. Um, and it's like a little two-room bungalow out in Los Angeles. And it was some ridiculous. I, I, I can't be sure. It was like a million three or something for this house. But the last time the Amityville house was on the market, it was only like $800,000. Yeah, I don't understand why somebody doesn't buy that, unless there's some you know inclusion in the the purchase that says you can't film here, you can't talk about it, you can't promote it, you can't be any part of it, and that might be what deters people from being you know interested in purchasing the house. But I would buy it and embrace the living hell out of it for what it is. Well, there there unfortunately there is uh, that that clause with the Amityville house uh, because I had a backer that was interested in buying it to open it as a bed and breakfast. And we looked into it and they have such strict zoning restrictions in that area that you would not be able to utilize it for anything like that. And I was also told that if anybody ever did try to buy it for the purpose of doing that, the neighbors are all prepared to all chip in and buy it through a neighborhood association so that somebody else couldn't buy it to do it for that purpose, which is, I, I find that I to thought be, you were going to say that. I, I thought you were going to say the neighbors are all willing to burn it to the ground. <laughs> they, they might do that. If that's a, I mean, look at all the stuff they've done to it, changing the address, changing, changing the exterior. And if you even stop to get out of the car to take a photo, they're calling the police. I know when, uh, it was boy about seven, eight years ago, Jeff Belanger and I got hired, uh, to do a sizzle, for a TV show. And, you know, we were with a bunch of great people and we had some time off. We were in Long Island. I'm like, Jeff's like, you know, Trader, <laughs> the Amityville house is only like 20 minutes from here. And I'm like, let's go. So we went and we, we made a fun video and uh, went there to visit it. And we stood outside for like eight seconds to take a picture. And we must have had 20 cars drive by. You son of a, you mother, you GDBA, you know, get out of here, you piece of junk. And, yelling at us, uh, and I was like, yeah, good grief. But I will tell you, I was disappointed in seeing the house in person because every movie gives you this isolation feel that it's kind of set back away from everything, right. up on the hill. And when you go there, it's like any other suburb. As a matter of fact, from the sidewalk to the front door is what, maybe 15 to 20 yards? Well, and if that... And, and then the house right next door is right next door, which makes it even more freaky because then you wonder, how did 
Butch DeFeo go in there and murder his entire family and nobody heard the report from this uh, this gun go off and kill everybody in the house. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's... it's uh, actually, we just got away with saying the word on this show. We didn't. And yeah, we have a history of whenever we mention the A word on this program, things go haywire. And, and so far, nothing's happened. So I won't tempt fate by saying it again. But that particular house... <laughs> I'm your host now, Tim. <laughs> I, I get the reference, and I appreciate the reference. Uh, the uh, By the way, just as a total side note, Dave, I was totally uh, very upset when I was a kid, and I had one of those, uh, you know, the tape recorder that sometimes you'd press play, and it, it would maybe go too slow or too fast. You know, the cheap right. models that didn't really work right. And I right. put in Nightmare on My Street one time, and it slowed down the Freddy Krueger voice or sped it up or whatever, and then I could tell that it was Jazzy Jeff. And I was yeah. just heartbroken at that point. I was like, they just, that was a voice processor for Jazzy Jeff. I was hoping they got real Robert England on that, but no. Yeah, no, they couldn't get it. They couldn't afford him. He was, uh, he was pricey at that point. Sure. And that's before, you know, Will Smith was Will Smith. So, but the, that house in particular is an example that a lot of other places use of, you know, why we have to be careful with some of these haunted locations. And we've seen it happen here with the Conjuring House before the current owners took yeah. over. Uh, you know, it's happened with the Lizzie Borden House. People drive by, stop, they want to get out and, and take photos and all of that. I mean, is that something that you have to be thinking about when you're going out to these cases that you, because you're looking into, in a lot of these places that aren't out there for the public, are you afraid of putting places on a paranormal map when they might not be already? No, because, you know, I mean, when I'll be honest with you. Going into some of the cases um, for Dr. Holzer, you know, these are cases that haven't been touched in 40, 50, 60 years. And people are like, what? how do you choose which cases? The guy wrote over 140 books. Well, part of it's been easy for us because some have burned to the ground and no longer exist. And when he was investigating 40, 50, 60 years ago, these were quaint little family homes that sold for $15,000. Now they're multi-million dollar homes that are owned by corporate, you know, uh, corporations or, or executives or, you know, brain surgeons and rockets, uh, literal rocket scientists. And they're like, uh, no, we don't need you coming into ghost hunt our home. And, you know, those eliminate, eliminate themselves. But a lot of the ones that said no in season one watched our episodes and then opened the doors in season two and said, well, perhaps we were hasty. Let's let's revisit. And we put them on the map because they're giving us permission to put them on the map and talk about these cases. Uh, we cover a case this season that, um, you know, Hans Holzer heard about this ghost story. He went out to talk to the family. The woman that owned the home was very polite, very sweet. But she's like, um, no, no, thank you, Dr. Holzer. And that was it. And he talked to neighbors. They told him the ghost stories, but he couldn't crack this code. Well, we get to go in because this year the family watched our series last season. They liked what we did, and they said, you know what? Our grandmother was not in a place at that time to allow that. But we really want the history to be told. We want to show the amazing aspects of this location and what's going on here. And they opened the doors to us. And we get to go in, and it's it's truly uh, remarkable that we get these opportunities to do that. So stories, you know, they've developed, and then we also get to, so that was a story that eluded Dr. Holzer. We had some that Dr. Holzer 
intended to in first season, there was a, an episode um, where he kept trying to get to the location and his car would break down. A horrible storm would blow through. It was every horror movie trope you could imagine. And his frustration level was through the roof. But he eventually just threw his hands up. He's like, obviously, I'm not meant to go. So we go out there to try to get that case. And we got it. So we try to go to places that he wanted and he wrote copious notes about and couldn't get into. We go to places that he attempted to get into and they, they rejected him at the point. And then we go into cases that he has made famous and re-examine those cases. And some of them are like, we have no interest, like the house in Metuchen, New Jersey. Uh, they've had thousands of shows approach them. And they were like, nope. Our show approached them. They're like, nope. And they're like, oh, we're just following up on Dr. Hans Holzer's work. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. If it's Dr. Holzer, we, they let you in before, we'll, we'll let you in again. Yeah. And that's opened up doors for us. And, and it's great to have the, you know, the current occupants of these locations, the current stewards of these locations, to say that they appreciate the work that you do. But it probably resonates even more the fact that, yeah, I mean, you know, you talked to Dr. Holzer. I've talked to him in the past. He's, he was a little bit of a cantankerous guy, and he didn't really love the way that everybody was doing research these days but it must be something that really fills your heart to know that he would approve of and be proud of the work that you're doing on on the cases that you're picking up i hope he is and you know when when you're, you're right he was kind of crabby when we spoke to him and it was like what do you think of all of the new shows and and the excitement to the supernatural is like ah garbage these shows are garbage <laughs> you know too much technology and and blah, you just need a good transmedium and a, a tape recorder. And that was all he went by. But you have to remember that 60, 50, 40, 30 years ago, people like Bill Chappell and Gary Galka uh, weren't out creating equipment specific to try to test theories. And Matt, you know, this is the science advisor, right? Oh, yeah. we, were, we were utilizing tools that were meant for other purposes. And we were finding that maybe if... This this K2 meter can find electrical wiring in the wall. Maybe the ghost can disturb the energetic pattern around it and we can communicate, but it wasn't meant for that. And now you've got guys that are thinking things through and putting these these aspects to the test. Well, if you're saying that ghosts are in this visual spectrum, let's make a camera that films in the spectrum. If you're saying that audio is recorded in this range let's record in this range and bolster it so we get a better result if you're saying that they need a template of white noise and they need this and that let's put these things to the test so i think dr holzer would be happier now and you know being friends with his daughter alexandra for a guy who was so dead set against technology he's made his presence known to her through technology on a few different occasions well what's happened with technology is it's become better and as right. as you know it's one of these, well, I have to explain this to a lot of other people new into ghost hunting. Equipment is used not so much for evidence. It's augmentation of your natural senses. The camera picks up spectrum that your eyes don't see. Your recorders are extensions of ears, picking up frequencies your ears don't hear. You know, the, the, the galvanic response is a perfect example of why we use... EMF meters picking up electrical frequencies. Even ion sensors pick up your nose. And if you're tasting ghosts, well, you've got an issue. But that's, you know, they're just there for augmentation of your natural senses. What Hans Holzer used to use back in the day was just his natural senses. Right. And, you know, let's address that. 
oh, you guys are running out of there scared. You're doing this, you're doing that. Dr. Holzer was never like that. Well, Dr. Holzer also investigated in broad daylight. He would go with a medium. He would let the medium connect with the spirits. He would jot notes. He would go during the nighttime as well, but he kept lights on. He, he Kind of like Professor Lloyd Auerbach. I don't need the lights off to investigate. Right. right? That, that's his theory. We are on a show, and there's dramatic license because you put it in that green screen, that IR light, and it gives it that claustrophobic, spookier vibe that you can only see the center. You can't see around the edges and what's there. You know, is the alien ready to pop out at any second? It gives you that that sense of, of fear. And what people take for granted is when you watch these episodes and you see us in a room and it's all brightly, uh, brightly lit up green, that's IR and cameras made for IR picking that light up. To right. our naked eyes, it's pitch black in these rooms. It's, it's the modern-day candlelight. It's basically the modern-day candlelight. Right. Right. Well, not even. At least yeah. by candlelight, you can make your way around the room and it's just IR light. You have no way to know where you're at or what you're doing. You're going by any little light source you can. So it's when you're in this room and we put you in, in the scariest places. And let me address that. Why do you, Dave, you're kind of a schmuck. Why do you always stick Shane in the worst places? And, and we talked about this before. I'm six foot one, almost six foot two. I'm a heavier set guy. Most of these places we're visiting are old places that were made for people that were like five foot five. So these roofs are super low. The basements have very low roofs. The, the areas that we're sending him are better suited for him. He's younger, he's more agile, and he can walk in, as you saw in the last episode um, when we were in the uh, um, attic of the home. He's standing there without needing to stoop. I had to get in the center of the room under the peak of the roof so that I wasn't banging my head on anything. So I send him into a lot of these places, A, because his reactions are priceless, but B, because he can actually get in and out of those rooms that I cannot as easily do. And, uh, you know, it's one thing. I, I don't mind getting thrown down a flight of stairs by a ghost for, uh, you know, for research, but I don't want to trip on my own accord because I couldn't get, get out of there and I tripped on a low ledge or something stupid. So he's that's that's why we do what we do on the show and plus like i said he's really kind of the heart of the audience people can sense and empathize with the guy and you see it in his face every time i'm like all right there's a creepy crawl space shane you know where you're going and you hear the oh man <laughs> it's just i love that aspect of who he is and it is him he's hu so human such a sweetheart of a guy and then he'll go do it he'll gripe and moan and whine about it but he'll go do it he'll face his fears and uh, and he gets great results. And I think that, listen, if I was a ghost, am I going to go after the big badass trying to be badass guy in the leather jacket trying to act all tough? Or am I going to go after the guy who's jumpy? I'm going to, as a ghost and as Dave Schrader's ghost, I'm going to go for the weak link. And I'm going to go for the guy that's going to jump through the roof because I'm a goofball. And I think it would be funny to scare somebody. So I think that that's what they do is they go in and they see Shane and know that he's not happy to be. I think a lot of times the ghosts are just screwing with them to give them a good jump. But with that said, everybody, oh, poor Shane, poor Shane. I got knocked to the ground and bitten last season on camera. This season, I have a couple of definite poor Dave moments where uh, I, I Kool-Aid man through a wall in one episode. Uh, and uh, in an ep another episode, I, I walk away uh, pretty banged and bruised up. So you'll have to tune in to see what happens. Is it a poltergeist or a, a clumsy old man? You guys get to decide on that one. Well, but uh, 
it's it's a lot of fun. When you went through the wall, did you give it an oh yeah afterwards? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh my poor camera guy. Uh, he didn't know what happened, um, and I saw something. We were in this dead end. This is Hans Holzer's first case, one of his first cases, and and I'm in this house in the basement, and it's a dead end basement. And something ran past me, and I jumped back, and I. I went through this wall. I don't know how much of it they're going to show on the episode, but literally where I fell, I caught my elbow on the outer part of the wall. The the inner part was like that real flimsy uh, pink styrofoam insulation, just kind of separating the two rooms. I was an inch away from knocking over this guy's priceless collection of collectible wines. So I would have shattered like 50 bottles of wine had I fallen any further back than I did. But if my elbow hadn't caught the ledge and kept me from going all the way through the wall... It, it, yeah, there would have been spirits, but it would have been wine spread all over the floor. Well, I, I will say too, you know, just going back to the idea of having somebody go into places where they might be afraid. If you're gonna, you know, speculate and and, and look into some of what be, might be causing or m what might be feeding into some of this paranormal activity, you know, we look at energy being the primary source of it being able to manifest, and fear energy is very powerful energy. That's why I want to. You know, a, a paranormal team with 20 years experience goes on an investigation and they come home and they say, you know, that was a real dud. Nothing really happened. But then you have a, a public event where, you know, you've sold tickets as a, as a historical fundraiser or whatever and all hell breaks loose. And they're like, well, you know, how can stuff happen in a situation like that, but not in this controlled investigative environment? It's because you had people that were anxious, that were afraid, that were putting out that energy, and that gives the spirit something to feed on as opposed to, you know, the bunch of people that are standing around kind of ho-humming everything that's going on. Yeah, I, you know, actually one of my favorite uh, experiences when I first started doing live events uh, back in 2006 we did an event. I'd contacted, I'd become friends with the guys from Ghost Hunter, or yeah, Ghost Hunters, Jay and Grant. And I said, guys, what do you think about me bringing a group of our listeners to Warwick, Rhode Island, and coming to see the TAPS headquarters and investigating and being a part of, uh, you know, there's a haunted hotel in town. And they're like, sure, we'd love to come meet the fans. And I don't think they expected it to become what it became. But, you know, we got about 60 people. We had to keep it limited at that time because we only had so many rooms we could get. But we did this haunted hotel, and we knew two rooms. One on the lower level had one story, one on, like, the second floor had another story. So Steve Gonzalez and Paula Donovan from Ghost Hunters were our ghost leaders, and they would take groups of, like, ten into these rooms to investigate. And every hour they'd swap out. Well, you know, but in the second hour, this guy comes out, and he's just shaking, and he's rubbing his throat, and he's looking all dejected and irritated, and I'm like, what's wrong? And he goes, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't buy into this paranormal stuff. But I was in that room up on the second floor, and my, my throat started to hurt. I felt like I was almost choking. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't. It felt like I was gargling on water or something, and I had to get out of there. And he goes, it just really unnerved me. I'm like, well, just stay down here in the lobby. Uh, you know, you don't have to go back up there. And he was like, oh, this is BS, and I, I can't believe this, and I just want to get out of here. And how much longer is this before my wife is out of there? So the next group goes through, and about 15 minutes into the ghost hunt, another guy comes down complaining of the exact same thing. So the first guy comes walking over all quizzical. This guy's all up in arms, and he's like, I don't believe in this paranormal crap. It's something's wrong, man. That room's weird. I don't know if it's asbestos or what. And the front desk guy's like, whoa, whoa, asbestos. What are you talking about? 
And we tell him, and he goes, well, you know, that was the room where he goes, I was on duty that night. A guy slit his own throat and then in desperation called down to the front desk and then dropped the phone and died in that room. So these two guys were gargling. They felt like they were choking on their own blood. And neither one of them were believers. They were there for their wives who wanted to be there. And what's great is 15 minutes later when that, that part of the ghost set ends and we all meet in the lobby, the wives come down and they're like, what do you mean you had the experience? This was my trip. And I'm like, ladies, they're both freaked out that they were choking to death. Yeah, that sucks. He doesn't even believe in the ghost. I said, so you would have been happy if you'd have felt like something was choking you. And they're like, well, and I said, now your husband believes you and believes in the supernatural. That's a great gift. And they're like, whatever, I still wanted to have an experience. <laughs> so it was great to watch non-believers have that moment happen for them. But also because, you know, you're a good event host and you want people to go home happy, you just went over there and choked them, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. And, you know, who am I to say no? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the funniest things uh, that happened in, in – I just want to talk about this for a second because we haven't really talked about it much uh, – this happened during the filming of season one of Holzer Files, where you needed me to fill in for you because you were filming an episode. And so I was going to do the show. And what's funny about it is I'm doing your show. And I was here, I believe, at WBSM doing it. I don't know if I was doing it at home, but you were literally across the street here staying at a hotel right. <laughs> to be filming an episode in Massachusetts. And it just shows like how weird everything has been like the, the, the strange connections uh, that have been going on. But it was just so funny that, you know, you're like, don't tell anybody that I'm here. But <laughs> literally you were right across the street. It was just uh, it was just funny. But you got to go to, you know, the Barnstable House on Cape Cod. You, you know, you, you've gotten yeah. to go into some really cool places uh, from, from being able to go out and film. And I know it's, you know, it's nothing new to you because you get to go to all these events that you've done and all these things. But you're also somebody that never seems to lose that geek out factor of getting to be in these places that you get to be in. Well, especially places that we get to be in that have such crazy history you know uh to be in the morris jumel mansion where one of the most famous hauntings took place witnessed by so many people and continues to be active and then on top of that george washington utilized that home as a stronghold and i got to stand in his war room and be where george washington was i stood in aaron burr's bedroom I was in the doorframe where all of these dignitaries walk through at one point in history. And it's like, this is unbelievable. And then this season, you know, we got to the Surratt Tavern where John Wilkes Booth rode off to feverishly after assassinating President Lincoln. They grabbed provisions, headed over to Dr. Mudd's house to get his legs set, and then we're off like a shot. There's ties to this deal. We get to be there. We were in the place. We're part of this whole idea for kidnapping the president and murdering the president was hatched. And you're in these spots, and it's just, to me, it's mind-blowing. The conference house coming up in Maryland later on, or I'm sorry, in Long Island, uh, in New York, later this season. Um, the conference house. I mean, that part of the story is really only two hours long. Uh, because Benjamin Franklin and a few other delegates were sent there uh, because of George Washington asking, can you please go negotiate with the king's people? And they negotiate this moment, and, and they're offered all of these sweetheart deals to just give up and stop fighting. 
And Franklin could have taken the deal. Washington put it in his lap. He's like, whatever you decide, I'm good with. And and Franklin goes in and tells this guy, no, we're not, we're not going to give up. This is America, man. We're fighting to the last minute. And that moment set history in its course. And I get to be in that room, in that house, and I get to uncover history that goes deeper than that story. And then you start to realize what other aspects of history have been under-acknowledged and that we get to give voices to those spirits again to give them some closure or give them the attention that they desire and and should have. It's, it's truly an honor. I feel like I've been bestowed with the gifts. Uh, and I hope the series goes on for 100 seasons because I want to see all of these places and be in them. And in a, in a very um, greedy way, I become part of the history of that location going forward. Right. And, and I love that aspect. I will have shared history with our founding fathers and, uh, you know, major events in world history. And to me, that's that's remarkable. And, and, it, and it shows that, you know, just because history is written down and recited doesn't mean that it's right. Uh, I mean, we've we've dealt with one of the oldest locations that you can deal with around here. Uh, I've investigated numerous times the Parson Barnard House in just outside of Salem. And the story went that it was the home of one of the accusers in the Salem witch trials. And the Historical Society pushed that notion for years and years and years. And we would go there and investigate and we would try to communicate with Reverend Barnard and we wouldn't really get a lot of response from him. Or if we did, it was something kind of a very negative nature. And then something happened where the Historical Society discovered new information, and it turns out that Reverend Barnard was not an accuser, but rather he was trying to exonerate the people who were accused. And so then we started changing the way that we investigated there and, you know, bringing up the fact that we understood that he was he was uh, misunderstood by history, and we changed the tact, and then we got completely different and, and far more active uh, experiences out of it. And here's something that goes back to 1692, and we're still changing that story, you know, in, in, in the early part of this millennium. So it just shows that you can never take history uh, just at face value either. Right. I mean, maybe that explains why so many places the ghosts say, get out. Because you they've been battered and bruised and lied about, and their stories manipulated and twisted and changed through the telephone game of history. And you're finally giving them the respect and due, due diligence that they deserve. And that's what we love is giving that voice to these spirits again. And it is exciting. I, you know, I'm 53. I sound like I'm a 22 year old excited kid getting to go to his first, uh, you know, topless bar or something, you know, ooh, ooh, I get to go. I'm just excited. And there's that energy, but I, I, it's, it's so amazing to get to find these aspects of, of the stories that, you know, will have been overlooked or have been overlooked. And I think that's why we get such remarkable activity during these investigations is that the spirits know we come in respect and know that we've got, uh, we've got their back. You know, it takes a while to set that up with them. But when they know it, they make their presence known. Now, this is something that, you know, might be a little bit personal for Alexandra, but have you had any instances where you feel like Dr. Holzer may have reached out to you while you're conducting these investigations? You know, here's here's the deal. Um, uh, his daughter, Alexandra, is a sensitive, all right? She is uh, mediumistic, and she is in contact with her father often. And we're not there to really connect with his spirit 
you know, if he makes himself known, but we're not calling him out. We're not asking right. for him to help because part of it is, you know, the guy did his part. Um, I, I, I feel bad bothering him. You know, maybe he's playing on the back nine uh, with Prince and Bowie right now, you know, talking uh, politics or whatever. I, I don't want to be keep tapping him on the shoulder asking for help. Now, the mediums have come through in a couple of interesting ways. When we did that house in Metuchen, New Jersey, uh, you know, we're listening to that audio. And here I come in 50 years later. It's not decorated the same. And I'm listening to the audio from, uh, I think it was Sybil or Ethel. I, I can't remember which one off the top of my head. And she starts going, I see three tankards, four total, three big, one small. And there hanging on this woman's wall are three beer tankards, old like pewter steins, three large and one small. So it's almost like she was seeing the ghosts of the past and connecting us in the future to what was going on. And that was remarkable. And Cindy was picking up on and getting some help. It's, it's crazy. Um, I, yeah, he has not made himself known, but we haven't reached out to him. It's a long and short answer, but the mediums have. Well, and, and, you know, that's another thing. If you had asked me at the beginning of my paranormal career what I thought of the Holzer method of bringing along these mediums, I would have said, ah, and just, it seems a little hokey to me. But now, you know, here we are all these years later, and I look at it, and I was like, that makes the absolute most sense. And I understand now why Dr. Holzer used trans mediums with him on these investigations. Right, and... You know, I love how calm the guy is because he'll be in there with these. And if you listen to, like, uh, Sybil, she's very elegant in the way she speaks. And she's from England and, you know, Dame Sybil Leake. And she's just very, very elegant in the way she speaks. And then all of a sudden, you start to hear these voices coming out of her as she's channeling. And he's calm where the rest of us might be like, what the hell? You know, he's like, you're dead. Your body is in the ground. It is time for you to move on. No, my body, my body. Yes, yes, I know, but it's no longer your time. Others live here now. And he's so calming. So I've tried to take that tact in some instances where I I feel like I'm almost channeling him. Not saying I am, but I mean right. I, I'm trying to channel the concept of who he was and channel that stoicism so that I could bring that to the ghosts so that they don't feel like I'm just a goofball flake in there poking bears with a stick either. Uh, I think we might have a caller on the line, Dave. Uh, uh oh, mm -hmm. a, a bit of a special guest, somebody whose voice you might not have heard for a while. Uh, okay. So let's see if uh, let's see if we can bring this person on. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dave Schrader. Hello. Which chicken play, boys? What's going on, fellas? Can, can you hear him, Dave? Uh, wow, it has been well, almost well, a year, and he still hasn't gotten a better phone line. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm up on the pole, and it's kind of cold up here. You know what I mean? It's like, it's oh, like everybody's going to wait, wait, like wait, 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 wait a minute. It's kind of like, cold I mean, where? So how how you doing, Mr. Mr. Rick Rick Harrison Swin, brother? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, but you can't complain to a guy living in Minnesota about how cold you are. I enjoy your program you, you, you have there, feller. Thank you, buddy. And, I appreciate it. I heard it. that you're, you're going to be doing it like another podcast on the on the or another pro, a radio program on um uh, what is it, on that other other place coast whatever is that true? No, I just I 
I do my radio show uh, with Darkness Radio every Wednesday and Thursday, um, and it's released through any podcast server out there. You can get our free Darkness Radio app through your app store. And then on Fridays, we actually, um, Thursday night, after the Holzer Files airs on Travel, I go live on Facebook and our YouTube page with a special guest, and we, we call it Holzer's Ghosts, where we decode the episode you just saw. We talk a little bit deeper about the history or about our experiences. And then that's made as an episode of Darkness Radio available on Fridays to listen to as well. But I, I think I stopped by on Halloween for about 10 minutes on uh, Coast to Coast with Ian Punnett. But that was uh, that was a quick in and out. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I can barely hear you. I guess, I guess the other way around. You just feel like you're talking to a, a can or like talking to a pillow. Well, you climb higher on the pole. Yeah, you're talking into the can, I think. It just, yeah, you just got to pull yeah. the string a little Are tighter, can, buddy. Huh? <laughs> just living life. So, um, how's the family doing? Family's doing well. Everybody's trying to stay safe. My grand, fifth grandson is, uh, well, my fifth grandchild is due any day now. Uh, and we're all just uh, huddled in, keeping as safe as we can, and, and you know, hoping the best for you and all the rest of the listeners out there that you get to stay safe during this time as well. I heard that you were going, you didn't want to do a thing about your family, but you're going to bring back a, a, a 70s t- a TV show. It's going to be like 18 is enough. Is that what you're posting? Yeah. Yeah, no, we're sticking with the Shrady Bunch. That's the title of our show. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds nice, Shrady Bunch. That that, sounds awesome. That's how you get a housekeeper. Yeah. That's right, exactly. All right, Lamone, it's, it's a little bit of a of an echo with the, with the phone, so we'll have to say goodbye to you, but thank you for checking oh, in. Okay, one more thing. Let me ask Dave one thing. Do you, did you, do you remember the Night Stalker, Call Kolchik, the Night Stalker? Yeah, of course. Well, do you know? You know, it comes on. It comes on uh, again at on um, like on what is it? Like me TV t- at, tonight at like at midnight or like maybe yeah midnight or about midnight. Every, I think your time too. Also, yeah. if you want, to get yeah, to you watch can get that, the, like you can get the whole series good. on Amazon for like twenty bucks. The entire series and have it nice HD. But yeah, I love the Colcheck Night Stalker oh. series. I've got this DVD too. And it's like um, also there's also nothing like hey, uh, are you um, are you going to be is the show gonna be live next week, uh, Timmy? Like you know, like 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 Friday after after after. Oh, the show. the midnight drive after show. Yeah, we should be back on Friday. We we were off this week, uh, but we should be back next Friday. I was like, oh, Amy sounds familiar. But she's back on there again. When are you gonna have Adam on there? Because I want to talk to him. I got something. Remember they were you had them both on there a few months back. I wanted to talk to Adam. It's something really really important. Well, something I want to share with. Him. Well, I I will let you know if we end up having him on. Okay, that'll be cool. So uh, yesterday, uh, uh, wait, wait, my birthday. Wait, we're we're just gonna we're gonna have to let you go, Lamone. Oh, I was thinking Dave was saying happy birthday to me. My birthday is a twelve. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lamone. For God's sakes, get a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Lamone. He's have, like Don Rickles of the paranormal. <laughs> have a good night. Well, well, at least it's hairstyle. Uh, yeah, exactly. oh, sorry, I, I, no matter how much the rest of the world changes, Lamone's crappy phone doesn't. You know, there was one <laughs> night that he called in and his phone yeah. was beautiful. And we're no. like, whatever you're doing, yeah. don't ever change this. And no. he's, he's never gotten it that good again. It's It's been okay a few times, but there was one night where it was like... Well, he got a new string. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
Did we, Buffalo Bill? Did Buffalo Bill let him crawl out of the well for an hour to make that call? Or what? We we he put the lotion in the basket. We actually were talking about on on Midnight FM. We're like, you know, people ask why we. So, you know, there's some people that love Lamone and some people that that don't love Lamone. Uh, and some of the the pro Lamone people were like, you should give him his own show. And I said, if Lamone, if you get a better phone, I'll open up a line that you can just call in and record. You just go on as long as you want to, and then we'll just upload that as a as a as a show on the network. And he still hasn't gotten a better phone, so maybe he doesn't want to be the the star. Also, found something else out about him interesting, Dave. He was part of an R and B group in the eighties that that had like one hit song. What was that hit song? I don't remember the name of it or the name of the group. He'll, he'll probably call back in now, but the, the was phone was a little rough. Hit? Lamone, email me, Dave at darknessradio.com. I want to know what that uh, what that hit was and you, what band you were with. You don't know what you just did. Yeah. The videos that he's gonna send you now. That's uh. fine. That's fine. <laughs> do you do you still get a lot of uh do you still get a lot of um emails from people that are you know, even though you're you're following along with uh, Dr. Holzer's cases, I'm sure you're still hearing from people that have their own paranormal problems that they want to let you know about and see if you can help them out with. Yeah, a lot of them, you know, still don't grasp the concept of what we do on the show. Right. Uh, a lot of people are like, hey, I saw you on the Holzer Files. You guys are great. Can you come out and investigate my house? I'm like, did Dr. Holzer investigate it? No. Did he ever reach out to you? No. Nope. Can't help you. <laughs> you know, um, that being said, we, you know, we did an episode in season one called The Devil in Texas, where we followed up on a very famous story that he did, um, but came to a tragic end. And then I had a woman uh, who was um, really in a bad place, and she felt like she was dealing with the demonic, and she was having a lot of the similar things happen to her. So I told production, they're like, why don't we make that the second part of the episode? We'll find out that there's nowhere to go in the original case, and let's go help this woman. And to their credit, man, they let us go, and we helped her, Lydia. And that was one of my favorite episodes from last season. Again, a very powerful, personal episode. I mean, you're working with a good team, you know, a good production team that understands that sometimes, you know, you need to, to, to let the paranormal be what it is. And then you'll construct the episode around what happens as opposed to some right. of these other productions that go in there and say, okay, here's the beats. We got to hit all of these. And then, you know, whatever happens in the, in the investigation happens in the investigation. But it seems like you're going into things with a very open mind about just where the entire experience can take you. Right. Well, that's that's the important element of all of this is just being open to where the tides roll. Because if you go in with a preconceived notion, you'll bang your head against the wall. Because, you know, we've been in places where we think we're going to talk to the ghost of, you know, Cookie the Clown, and we get nothing all night. But had we called on the, the ghost of uh, Bozo, he would have been there, you know, but nobody's calling out for him. So it's just you've got to be be open and willing to deal with whatever spirit wants to make their presence known or uh, let the story unfold as it naturally would instead of trying to force a, a round peg into a square hole. Have these cases changed you in the way that you investigate uh, with what you've not yeah. only, I mean, obviously you're going to change for television, but it's changed you just kind of in your approach overall. Yes. I wear a lot more leather now. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it, it has, I've always tried to be very, um, empathetic to the spirits and there, I, you know, I make mistakes like everybody. And sometimes I treat, uh, you know, treat them like a, a circus animal. And I, I try to stop myself, you know, you're like, why am I asking them to jump through these fiery hoops for me? You know, just talk to them like humans and you know, that's who they are. 
or were, and and that's when I get better answers. But I also, my scope is enlarging considerably from where I started 15 years ago, really investigating. You know, I, I, I don't know that we're always dealing with uh, dead people in the classic sense of a disincarnate body or a disincarnate soul. Um, I think we're dealing more with time slips in some of these areas. I think we're dealing with, um, you know... Uh, where we're almost talking through a portal in time and they're hearing us, we're hearing them. And then you look back and you think about how some of these places complained about how haunted they were back in the day, but it made no sense as to why they were haunted. Well, maybe that's because they're hearing, hearing the echoes of the future and the thousands of people that would come through trying to investigate claims of ghosts. We're creating a, a time loop episode of ghostly activity. That's really just, the dead speaking to the living, you know, through time. Right. I mean, the fact that we have finally gotten away from the if when it comes to investigations, uh, especially right. investigations for television, and we're starting to get into the to the why, the how, uh, you know, that we're, we're getting closer to cracking the code in that regard because the, the endless loop of just trying to prove whether or not it's happening uh, just wasn't getting us anywhere. Right. You got to be willing to, to expand your horizons, and I've tried to do that over the years with working with different investigators, different people. And this season, we bring in some different uh, guests that are pretty cool. Uh, you know that we have a couple of cool surprises popping on this season, and I'm hoping we could do more of that in season three. Um, you know, but we just need people to tune in and keep the show alive. And here, this is something I'm going to tell you. I'm trying to make a blanket statement to everybody, not just to save the holes or files, but to keep all of your favorite shows on the air. If you're like me, you probably DVR your favorite show. And then, you know, a month or two down the road, you sit there and you power through 12 episodes and you think, God, I watch every episode. My friends watch every episode. Why did the show get canceled? Well, TV works this way. You watch it live, that's the best thing you could do for your favorite TV show. So even if you know you can't watch it live, turn it on to that channel and just let it play in the background so it counts through your, your uh, cable box. If you DVR the episode, watch it within the first 48 hours because if it doesn't get played in the first 48 hours, it falls off their scale. So you think everybody you know loves the show, everybody watches the show and binge watches it later, but then the show gets canceled and it makes no sense. It's because there weren't enough live viewers in the first three days of that show. So save all your favorite shows by actually watching them in the first three days. And again, here's another thing. Maybe you want to just power through them all at one time. So turn on the TV, turn on your DVR, start play and walk into another room, go shower, get ready in the morning, whatever, let it play in the background. Then just come back when you can watch them, but let them play out in the first 24 to 48 hours so that it counts towards the overall ratings. And you'll see your favorite shows stay on the air a lot longer and get the attention that they deserve. So that's important element I'll throw out to people. If I could also mention something that means a lot to me and why this next episode is so important. Um, my daughter is uh, a type 1 diabetic, juvenile diabetic. Um, the story that we investigate, there's a young girl that passed away uh, back in the day from complications of diabetes. This is a, a, a disease. This is something that has been around for far too long. And JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, uh, are leading the fight against type 1 diabetes by funding research, advocating for policies that accelerate access to new therapies, and providing a support network for millions of people around the world impacted by type 1 diabetes. 
If you could please consider this year making a donation to the JDRF.org, JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, JDRF.org. Make a donation, help them, because this is something I think we can cure in this lifetime. I think this is something that we're very close to breaking the, the glass ceiling on. And as a father of, of a daughter who's almost died twice, to just be frank, um, I, I need this. I need something to cure or, or make her life better because really, in, in, a, in a sense, diabetes is a death sentence for a lot of people. And um, it doesn't have to be. If people come together and we work together, we can make a change. JDRF.org is the way that you want to reach out and make a donation. Please consider doing that for the holidays, friends, relatives, whatever that you know. Make it in their honor. It will really mean a lot to me. And watch this Thursday on the Holzer Files because this episode is going to blow your socks off. We have got some of the best paranormal activity I've ever seen captured ever. And that's 10 p.m. Eastern on Travel Channel this coming Thursday. Dave, thanks so much for yep. joining us. It's great Thank catching you. up with you. Let's let's not wait so long. I appreciate it. And, you know, for your listeners, too, right after they watch the Holzer Files on Thursday nights, if they go over to my Facebook page or my YouTube page, I do uh, Holzer's Ghosts, which is a follow-up with a special guest where we talk about the episode that just aired. We go a little deeper. We take questions from the audience. We're a part of that. So um, thank you for giving me the format to come out and talk about the show tonight and for talking about juvenile diabetes uh, and the Research Foundation. Matt and uh, uh, Tim, you guys are great. Keep doing what you're doing, and, and thank you for letting me be a part of your world. Likewise. Take care. Anytime, Dave. And Bye -bye. if we can be any help in the future, let us know. You got it. All right, take it easy. That is Dave Schrader. Again, Holzer Files this Thursday night. You don't want to miss it. 10 p.m. Eastern on Travel Channel. And what he's saying is absolutely right. Watch it live. If you can't watch it live, just let it play live in the background or and make sure that you watch it within the first 48 hours because, you know, we want to make sure that these shows, as he was saying, you want to make sure that these shows can stay on television and you want to make sure that they understand that the audience wants to not just see these shows, but they want to see the show, the direction these shows are going in. Like I was saying before, getting into the how and the why yeah. of the paranormal as opposed to just the, you know, is it or isn't it? Right. And uh, just a real quick note in the final moments that we have left, a local note that I want to uh, just let everybody know. If you're from this area, you are familiar with, you know, the, the city of Brockton. Mm -hmm. It's not that far from the South Coast. A lot of people from around here, they think nothing of going up there to get some... some right uh, in the middle of the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah, and not only for that, but also they love to go up and get that bar pizza. Everybody has their favorites. Yep. Some people go to Cape Cod Cafe. Some people go to Town Spa. Some people go to... There's a, Emma's. There's... there's yeah. Well, is Emma's bar style? I think they're... Well, the, they have a bar in there. But the... No, but you know what I mean by the bar the, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, Linwood and Randolph, mm -hmm. which is the best. I don't care what anybody else says. you got to get the bean special. But there's a, a new, well, not a new show. It's a show that was on YouTube Red, but now it's on Amazon Prime called Wayne. And uh, just go check that out. It was It's created by a Brockton native, and part of the story takes place in Brockton, even though it was filmed in Canada. Uh, so check that out on Amazon Prime. It's just called Wayne, you know, like the person's name. That's the main character of the show. And I think a lot of people from this area will like it. They'll like a lot of the 
inside references. And as somebody who, my family's from Randolph, I lived a portion of my life in Randolph and in Brockton. Uh, you know, there's a lot of little inside jokes and, and little nods to the local people that might be watching it. I'm going to get Moniz to get an Amazon Prime subscription just so he can check it out. Because it's, it's about a kid that just, you know, beats people up. But it's so much more than that. There's a lot okay. of heart to it, too. So uh, that'll actually do it for this week's edition. Uh, we will be back next week with another live show. If you have missed any of our Spooky South Coast episodes, I think this is 614 or 15. Uh, if you've missed any of those, you can get them all for free from uh, the different podcast services, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are actually working on an idea because we are coming up on our uh, our actual uh, 15th anniversary coming up in January. So because I put out some classic spooky South coasts onto midnight FM for Halloween, and we got some pretty good listenership coming in and tuning in to hear those classic, those lost episodes. I'm thinking about putting together an entire week of some of the older spooky South coast episodes, even though I'm so embarrassed by the way that I sound in those early episodes. Uh, I'm thinking about putting some of those together and we'll, we'll have like a little anniversary week leading up to the actual anniversary itself. So that, you know, anybody that hasn't heard some, we did some really good episodes in those early days. We got some good guests. Yeah. It's just the sound quality oh. isn't great on all of them. And, and certainly the quality of the host was uh, not as good in those days. Remember I used to stand up over here. Yep. And you used to do the entire show standing up. Yeah. I thought I had to. Uh, and, you know, and then I realized, wait, I can still talk sitting down. I can do two things at once. Uh, but the, you know, some of those and we did, you know, just looking back at some of those classic episodes, like I remember one of the first ones that got people's attention uh, was when we had Keith Johnson on talking demonology and uh, Renee Smith, who was the angelologist yep. for TAPS. And we talked about angels and demons. That's at a time when, you know, paranormal groups would have had an angelologist. Actually, I think Taps might have been the only one that did. Uh, but then, you know, we had the, the you know the Roswell Smackdown where you and John Horrigan went went ten rounds in a in a that was a fun episode. a verbal boxing match yeah. that we let the audience decide who won. Uh, we had the Dover Demon episode, which I was just mentioning last night with uh, with Andrew Lake on Midnight FM on on Midnight Society. Yeah, where we were actually out there on the anniversary. Yeah. And uh, so, there, you know, a lot of those classic episodes people haven't heard because the podcast feed only gives you the latest 300 episodes. So the earliest 300 episodes are kind of lost to time. Are you going to put the infamous backyard podcast? So I think that I might actually run that. And, okay. and, and we'll, we'll make sure that we give people an exact time of when they can tune in because they haven't heard it again. And, and I think we're going to have to do a we, new one. We are going to have to do a new one. You know, now that I have the broadcast ability to set it up like wherever we want to go, we don't have to limit ourselves. We can do it anywhere we want to do it. So I, I think we will um, we'll have to we'll have to revisit that idea for sure. And you know, that's what I used to say. Oh, it's so hard to set up the remote broadcast, and now it's easy, so I have no excuse. So um, we'll just have to get some some drinks. I like the hard Arnold Palmers. I like my drink that I mix with cider and and caramel vodka. We'll get mm. all that stuff together. And, uh, and then we'll have a nice backyard podcast episode. So, it, but at least the original one, we'll, we'll run it again and we'll, we'll let people hear it unedited in its entirety. I, yeah. Even, even where I almost burned down my house. Yeah. That, we'll was, even, that was just, we look over and see the fire and it's like, uh, uh, my, gr <laughs> my grill caught on fire the other day and I walked outside and looked at it and I yelled, backyard podcast, backyard podcast. <laughs> 
So thankfully, it was just a little bit of a grease fire. I was able to put it out. All right, until next week, stay spooktacular.